Hello and welcome back to the History of the British Earls, episode 13, Civilising Barbarians. In this episode, I'm going through some more key figures from the coming of the Saxons, summarising Frankish history, talking about Ethelbert of Kent, and going into excruciating detail about Penda, the last pagan king of Mercia. I also have a Twitter account, by the way. I don't post much, but it's where all podcast-related stuff will go, as well as what I'm doing with my life. It's at Henry Lapsmith. Before we start, I would like to say thank you. The last episode got over 50 listeners in its first week live. In comparison, the one from Sunday got around 40 listeners, which in itself is above the average listeners in a week. It's really great to see this kind of rate of growth. When I started doing the podcast back last May, I was thankful that the second episode got even 10 listens. I know that episodes are rather short for history podcasts, something I'm working on by the by, but we are somehow still growing. It's weird to think that over 50 people tune in to hear me talk about history in a monotone voice. I'm not exactly the most engaging podcaster, which is another thing I'm trying to work on. Thank you all again, and, now, and, and let's now get back to talking about history. Scotland was divided into four major states. Dalriata, who were an Irish kingdom, also called the Scots, Fortiu, who were Pictish, Strathclyde, who were Britonic, and Benicia, who I have already mentioned. The Picts were by far the strongest kingdom in Scotland, and would inevitably unify all of Scotland, and still the name of the Scots. They controlled northern and eastern Scotland. They were a confederacy, and probably came out of the Caledonian Confederacy, is often re- referenced in conjunction with the Picts. They first appeared in Roman records in the 3rd century and were called the Picti. Dalriata were born were both the Scottish or were, was in both the Scottish and Irish worlds. They were widely considered an Irish colony that grew their boots. In a, they co- it controlled Argyll and Bute as well as a large number of western Scottish islands, making it a reasonably major force in Scottish politics able to negotiate to some extent with the Picts. All that said, they were by no means their equals. Strathclyde was founded around 450 CE and was also known as Alclut. In the last king- it was the last kingdom to join Scotland and had a slightly Welsh streak. Consider what I said last episode. Wales used to be far larger and the Welsh wide world almost touched Strathclyde. It was also a lowland, not highland kingdom and controlled the southwest of Monday, Scotland, as well as Cumbria, which is in the north of England. It didn't even speak the same language as the Highlanders, preferring the Cumbric tongue. We've already talked about Bernicia, the Anglo-Saxon kingdom that became part of Northumbria. They cannot really be considered a Scottish kingdom, seeing as they had little in common with the rest of Scotland, preferring to move in Anglo-Saxon circles. They control the southeast as well as the far north of England, bordering Strathclyde to the west and the pits to the north. Let's now move on to talk about Kenneth MacAlpine and the unification of Scotland. Now let's move on to the crucial reign of King Ethelbert of Kent, the king who started Christianisation. First, though, a bit of history on the Franks, or French to us now. Now, 
There'll be a big figure throughout the rest of the podcast, and they're just about to drift into our story for the first time. I'll keep it brief. The founder of the Frankish, na- Frankish nation is widely considered to be a man named Clovis. He defeated the last Roman prefect sometime in the 480s and, found- and founded the Merovingian dynasty. The name Merovingian comes derives from Merovich, a legendary Frankish hero who settled in Roman Gaul, most likely as a Fodorati, a barbarian, as they were known, who served as mercenaries for Rome. He was the son of a sea monster, monster and a normal woman, as legend has it. Now, let's get back to the story of the descendants of Merovinch, the Merovingians. Clovis converted to Christianity in 498. This conversion was because he begged for the help of God, who his wife already worshipped, to help him win a battle two years previously. His lands were divided, with the German part becoming Austrasia, the future Holy Roman Emperor. By Holy Roman Emperor, I do not mean Charlemagne's Emperor, but the late Holy Roman Emperor from the 900s. The one generally known as known for being more of a loose confederacy. The Merovingian dynasty became critically undermined by their chief ministers, or mayors of the palace. These mayors of the palace took nearly total control of the kingdom, and while the, and all the while, Arabs were advancing into Iberia and later southern France. Charles Martel, one of these mayors of the palace, took total power for himself, though not taking the title king. Charles won the famous Battle of Tours against the Arabs, which some historians believed stopped Arab advance into Europe. Others scoff at this and believe Arabs were just looking to raid and didn't even have the power to conquer the rest of Europe. Charles' son, Pippin, crowned himself King Pippin III in 751, starting the Carolingian dynasty. Now let's move on to the thing I was supposed to be talking about. Ethelbert was born around the year 550 and began his reign in 589, at age 39, rather late for a monarch at the time. The thing that started his swing to Christianity was marrying a Frankish princess named Bertha. A condition of the marriage was that Bertha be allowed to practice her religion freely and have her own priest. This brought priest, and by extension, Christianity, into Kent. In 596, Pope Gregory the Great set a prayer from the monastery of St Andrew in Rome called Augustine or as a missionary to Kent. He arrived in 597 in Thalid, Kent, and met up with Ethelbert and Bertha, his previously mentioned Frankish wife. Augustine impressed Ethelbert with his sincerity and was granted the house in Canterbury, food, and an old Roman church called St. Martin's. Ethelbert also gave him the right to preach. By the end of the year, Ethelbert converted to Christianity. Ethelbert also gained political hegemony during his reign. King Raedwald of East Anglia, a major figure in his own right, treated Ethelbert with respect, and the king of the South Saxons was a vassal. Raedwald also converted to Christianity, though he later converted back to paganism after Ethelbert's death. Slowly, the rest of England converted to Christianity. Now, let's talk about an exception to this rule, Penda. Penda is one of my favourite Anglo-Saxon figures. He was going totally against the tide and it generally paid off for him. He was a pagan when Christianity was on the rise 
and was called the Great Armoring Giver, as well as the Great Kings of the Anglo-Saxon Heroic Age, though it was thought to be over by the time Penda started dominating England. The time of his crowning in 626, Northumbria was the dominant power in Britain, and Mercia was a vassal of them. Very quickly, Penda declared his independence, and I were the joint kings of Wessex, Synergis and Switchhelm. He secured the alliance by burying his sister to silence his younger brother, Senwall. After the battle, after the armies of Wessex were crushed, Penda turned on them. In, in 628, he beat, he beat the armies of Wessex at the Battle of Suincester. This gave him the territory of Huis, which, roughly corres- which, is, which is roughly corresponding to modern Gloucestershire. Huis normally belonged to Wessex since 577, but was majority Britain. This began his great aggressive campaigns. He then attacked Dovnomia, Mon Cornwall, and laid siege to Exeter. King Cabral of Gwalid stopped his attempt, and the two sides quickly entered into peace negotiations. Cadwallon was a sworn enemy of Edwin of Northumbria and had recently been forced into exile in Brittany after a war with Northumbria. This meant he was totally on board to help out Penda, another anti-Northumbrian. The, the twin armies then went back and retook Exeter. It was not Cadwallon's originally, but, but the king of Dumnonia, who was in the general world political world, hence his original help. They regained Gwened after the Battle of Long Mind or Cerf de Gaulle in 630. They then marched on Northumbria and ransacked Northumbria undisputed for three years. On October the 3rd, 633, joint armies crushed Northumbria and killed Edwin at the Battle of Hatfield Chase. The armies continued to ransack Northumbria, though Penda, was probably, though Penda probably played a small part in it. Northumbrian kings came and went, none of them putting up a fight, till King Oswald crushed the armies of Gwened at the Battle of Havenfield in 634. When Gwened was being beaten up by Northumbria, Penda was seeing his eastern borders being attacked by East Anglia. Emboldened with his victory over Northumbria, he attacked Milanglia in 635. He quickly conquered the kingdom and killed the kings Siegbert and Egric. Mercia stayed at peace for another for another seven years, but in six four two the armies of Northumbria, Northumbria attacked him. It was likely that King Oswald viewed Penda as a significant threat to his power and wanted to crush him once and for all. Penda had withdrawn from Western Mercia, most likely to meet up with its Welsh allies. Oswald took advantage of this and put and plunged his armies deep into Mercia. Penda had valuable allies though. King Cadafael Cadomid of Gwened. Ewan of Paris and Sigurdilin of Penguin were all allied with Penda. The two sides met at the Battle of Oswestry. Oswald was killed along with Penda's allies, but Penda took the day. Emboldened by his victory, Penda then took control of Elmer and Lindsay while Northumbria was recuperating from the death of Oswald. King Sendwulf of Wessex, Wessex, who was married to Penda's sister, annulled his marriage. He invaded Wessex, Penda invaded Wessex in 645 and Senwolf fled. Penda drove Senwolf out of East Anglia, where he was in sanctuary, and took control of Wessex. He ruled Wessex for three years before returning to Mercia. In 650, Penda attacked Anna, king of East Anglia, for harbouring Senwolf five years ago. Anna fled to Paris, which Penda then attacked. He ousted the British in Kenchester and set up his son, Nerwal, as king of as king of a newly settled kingdom which Penda found in the area called Magonset. 
In the meantime, King Oswe of Northumbria was in a shaky state. He tried to agree a marriage alliance with Penda, but talks broke down. In 652, Penda attacked Northumbria and besieged Oswe in the far north in the far north of the morning in a town in the far north of modern England called Bamborough. Penda felt so secure that felt secure to such an extent that we made another one of his sons, Peda, King of Midlandia. Aethelhere, the new king of East Anglia, submitted to Penda and became a vassal of Mercia. Penda then set up a vast army to crush Northumbria once and for all. In six five five he marched on Northumbria, ravaging it in the process. Oswiel fled to Stirling and tried to bribe Penda to leave. Penda took the money but did not leave Northumbria. The two sides met in the Battle of Winwed, where Penda and several of his Welsh where Penda and several of his Welsh allies were killed. Penda was a pagan for all of his life, but allowed his sons to convert to Christianity. I tried to write pithy to summarise his life, but I really don't have the literary skill or the will to do so. I've decided that I'll do a little summary of what we've gone through in this episode. I know it's a lot to take in, and this is the, and this is the stuff you're really going to need to remember. So, first we talked about Ale, who founded the South Saxons. Then I went through Serdic, who founded Wessex. We then went through Frankish history. Clovis, Clovis was the first defeated the last Frankish, the last Roman governor of Gaul, and became the first Merovingian king of the Franks. He also made the Franks Christians. The heirs of the palace took control of the Frankish government. One of these men, Charles Martel, defeated the Alms in the Battle of Tours. Its importance is debated. Its importance is debated. His son dethroned the last Merovingian king of the Franks and became King Cupid III, father of Charlemagne. We then moved on to Aethelbert and the mission of St. Augustine. Long story short, Aethelbert became the first Christian king of England and started, started off Christianization. We then moved on to Penda. He crushed both Wessex and Northumbria with the help of some Welsh kings. He was killed in battle with Oswiu, king of Northumbria. That's all we've got time for, or more specifically, all I've got time to script and record. The only day this week where I did not script was Wednesday, so I was really pushing myself to my turn time limits. This week is half term, so I might have more time, or I just won't be bothered to spend my time writing. I'll also be doing a lot of other stuff, including probably visiting some Welsh castles and maybe also some museums. I've also got other ho- holiday projects to work on, so the podcast is not the only thing I'm doing in my in, in my downtime. If I do visit any cool castles or museums, I'll be posting about them on Twitter. Well, I am at Henry Deluxe, as I said at the start of the episode. In the next episode, we'll be picking off up. We'll picking up again with Mercia and going through what happened after the death of Penda and going through the Mercian supremacy. Won't give you any any more spoilers about what to come. What, what's to come though? With that, goodbye.